Meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues and at Damascus, so that if he found any who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was going along and approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice, but saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he couldn't see nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. For three days he was without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. He answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying, and he has seen a vision, and in a vision, a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him, so that he may, might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all those who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. morning according to St. John, the 21st chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. When they had all finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, 
tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wish. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he would glorify God. After this, he said to him, follow me. Peter then turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. He was the one who had reclined next to Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. So the rumor spread in the community that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? People of God, this is the gospel of our Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. There's a lot that could be said about this first reading from Acts. Um, in your Bibles, the, the heading that's added to the text to kind of tell us what's coming up uh, is, is labeled the conversion of Paul. Uh, and you could say a lot about, you know, the difference between the name Saul and Paul. You can talk a lot about this vision of, of the risen Lord and his blindness and what it means that scales fall from his eyes. You could say a lot, but I think for today we want to focus on something that particularly as Lutherans, I, I think it's not as familiar to us. And it's this notion of conversion. And it looks like my head's in the way again. <coughs> the notion of conversion is, is unfamiliar to many of us who were born, baptized, and raised in the church. Um, because it's all we've ever known. Sure, even converting from one form of uh, Christian Christianity, one expression of, of our faith, one denomination to another may feel like a conversion, but really that's more akin to learning a new language because at the end of the day, there is only one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. But what happens to Saul this day, this conversion? It's more than just switching sides, moving from one place to another, or finding a more comfortable fit. It's more akin to going along and, and relearning how to walk after a surgery. You do it, you, you, you go through the process of rehab, you graduate from a wheelchair to a walker to a cane to freestanding, but along the way your body is now different. And this new way of walking is different too. Look at Saul, right? He, he's convinced I'm going to get down here for a minute because that's going to start blinding some of you in a minute, going back and forth. Saul is convinced 
most faithful Jew, he's a Pharisee of Pharisees of the tribe of Benjamin. As to uh, perfection under the law, he's blameless. As to zeal under the law, there's none better. He's at the top of his list. He has papers authorizing him from the head of the temple to go and to round up these Jesus followers. Apparently, that didn't work. Uh, it may just be our troubleshooting option, Dan. Um, he has papers from the head of the Jewish authority to go and around up these Jesus worshippers to bound them and change. He has people there to help him to take them back to Jerusalem to put them on trial and to condemn them under the law that he so diligently serves. And yet, as he goes along, this light blinds him. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Well, I don't know who you are. Who are you? Lord, sir, mister. I'm doing what God commanded me to do. I'm faithful. Who in the world am I persecuting? And who in the world is speaking? Saying that what I'm engaged in is an act of wrongdoing. Who are you? On Jesus, the one you're persecuting, but never mind with that. He left them going into Damascus, and I'll meet you there. And so thus begins Saul's conversion. Sometimes the things that we do, the things that we are so convinced about that are faithful. Things that we know deep down in our gut are what God wants us to do and to be a part of. May very well be persecuting the very body that we're trying to serve. And so we are, like Saul, in need of conversion, right? Because conversion requires forgiveness, even from the things that we cling to most proudly. That's what Jesus offers to Saul on this road to Damascus. Forgiveness, another way of living, another way of being, another way of serving the God that he's devoted his entire life to. And so Saul, now blinded by this experience, is led by the hand by these two fellow travelers. And I think what that shows us about conversion is that conversion is not a private experience. Conversion is found in the presence of other people. It's a communal experience of walking together into a new way. We don't know much about these fellow travelers, only that they lead them to where they were going. And that for three days, Saul remained there, blinded, unable to eat, unable to drink, and weakened in his new state. Conversion takes time. 
rarely is conversion an instantaneous thing. Yes, it does happen, I believe, but I think more often than not, conversion is a slow process in which we need to sit with where we are. Wrestling with what was and what is and what is to come. And so Paul needed to sit with Jesus' revelation that everything he thought he was doing, everything that he thought was favorable in God's eyes, Everything that he thought was serving God faithfully was really an act of persecuting the body. <clears throat> that process of walking with God, of being shaped and shifted and transformed into what God has called us to be requires time and requires being joined to Jesus. Immersed in the way, forsaking our own way. And then the story does an interesting thing. It shifts rather dramatically to this person called Ananias, a faithful follower of Jesus' disciple, whom God comes to and calls to tend to Saul, his persecutor, his oppressor, his jailer. Ananias understandably protests, sure that this act of mercy will end in his own death. And I think there's beauty in recognizing that this conversion requires being joined Jesus so intimately, being immersed in the way, forsaking our own so deeply that it calls us into places that we would not dare choose for ourselves. Especially for Ananias, this conversion is costly. Because in receiving this call from God, Ananias recognizes that he needs to be converted to. He needs to be converted so that he can continue to follow Jesus faithfully. Recognizing that at all times and all places, among even the most dedicated disciples, we are always being made new. For Ananias, it's not enough he was already a Christian. Because a disciple in name only is really not a disciple. And so God says, go to Saul, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he will suffer in the sake of my name. Ananias must go to this person who will do a new thing, who will be a minister to the Gentiles people who despise both he and Saul because of their Jewish heritage, who thought them unworthy of the covenant that God made with Abraham, and at the same time, the people who were believed to be unreachable by the covenant's fulfillment in Jesus' resurrection. You're going to 
this fall, and he's going to go minister to those people. And not only that, he's going to go minister to kings, he's going to speak to people in positions of power and privilege who will execute him for the way that Jesus' name disputes their own reign. You and I will go and minister to him so that he can extend ministry to the people of Israel. His own people who will seek him as a traitor, who will continue to persecute Jesus throughout Saul's entire life. Go to this person, tend to him, and I will send him on his own. Hearing that story as an eight-year-old, I can only imagine the tension in that space where these people that are supposed to be enemies find themselves in a very vulnerable, intimate setting. Two people lead their neighbor along the way 
when you no longer see. And it happens when people who are supposed to be enemies now find themselves to be something more.
bound to one another as children of God and siblings and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is God's call that we go into places we dare not choose for ourselves. Giving up the old way of life we didn't know was Embracing those who once called enemies as new friends in Jesus. And proclaiming the good news of God's love in Him. Before our enemies, before the powerful, the privileged, and yes, even our closest family, who don't understand where we are, where we've been, and where we're going. All for the sake of the weak and the disenfranchised. Baptism is God's standing invitation to each and every one of us to be constantly converted into the image of Jesus, whose life is lived as a surplus of abundance and generosity and mercy and healing for all those. joy of the 